show. It is Josh Elliott Wolf and Israel Fair here with you, coming to you live from the Kintec studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintech.net. And in the break, we got breaking news. Breaking news. Breaking news. This is uh, reported by Greg Wyshynski. Bo Horvat will remain on the Pacific Division All-Star team, but he will wear a New York Islanders reverse retro jersey during the skills competition, and he will be introduced as being from the Pacific Division, but playing for the New York Islanders. So a real bomb just dropped. (laughs) It's the the biggest Bo Horvat news of the week. Dude, people, our text line the last few days, I've been getting in fights on the text line about people. People are very concerned about what's going on with uh, Bo Horvat and what's he going to do at the All-Star game. Is he still going? What jersey is he going to wear? He was never going to wear a Canucks jersey, by the way. That That was just not in the realm of possibility. But maybe... Maybe people thought, hey, you'll wear like a generic Pacific Division jersey or Western Conference jersey or whatever. It's not happening. They came to they came to a conclusion. Yeah. Yeah. The NHL, the their brightest minds got to it and they figured it out. Uh let's welcome in Jim Fox. He is uh LA Kings analyst for Bally Sports. Uh Jim, how are you? Doing great, guys. How are you guys doing? We are doing good. Appreciate you taking the time. Uh, how have how has the reaction been to the Kings this season? I mean, they've had a pretty good year. I don't know if people expected them to be like maybe as good as they are, but they they've seemed to be pretty solid this year. Well, yeah. Um, in this market, in the LA market, I think people are probably uh, have a little bit higher expectations, uh, and I think that was a huge word that was thrown around at the beginning of the season because of what happened last year. Uh, I think most people felt, yeah, last year the Kings making the playoffs probably a year or so ahead of schedule, uh, coming out of the rebuild. Uh, but so far, yeah, it's it's a it's a tough season to read uh, because of a few strong points and then a few weak points, and you try to put them all together. But where they stand right now, uh, I think uh, you'd be pretty not satisfied, but uh, it looks okay. They've been a team for a number of years identified as having really strong uh, prospect pool that have gone that that gradual progress route of, yes, there are still the veteran players from the cup days, but they've been able to turn over that group, have some young players and uh, make the playoffs last year in the playoff mix again this year. Uh, usually what comes next is, is people wanting the team to, to really take that leap. And usually it, it means uh, making trades. Is that something that uh, the fan base seems to be pushing for or pushing towards having uh, some of those prospects moved for NHL ready talent, or is there still an understanding with the fan base that this is a bit of a longer term project? Yeah, uh, it depends. And of course, uh, uh, <laughs> I think you guys understand after a loss, everyone needs to be traded and the coach needs to be fired. And after a win, everyone needs to be signed, and including the coach. So uh, that's that's the way it is right now. But no, I think one area that has been identified and has been out there has been, you know, a, a left-handed defenseman with size. Not necessarily looking for a point producer, just probably even more of a stay-at-home guy because the Kings have a lot of 
right-hand shooters who seem to be scooters, the guys who can mobile, the, the modern-day NHL defensemen where you, you get involved in the play and very mobile guys. So that's been the spot uh, that has been identified. Uh, of course, goaltending is a concern, although Phoenix Copley's numbers, you can't argue with it. I mean, the, the wins at 15 wins since he's taken over, the most in the NHL since he started. So um, those are the areas people are looking for. But if, again, I were to pinpoint a left-handed, bigger defenseman, that's what you're looking for because uh, the Kings – and, you know, it's tough. Uh, as you guys were just talking about, where the, they are, the Kings are at the stage of their growth right now. It, it's, you know, do you make the big move now or do you wait? Or do you make a move just to, to solidify a playoff spot or does that hurt you too far down the road? So uh, that's all the decisions that have to be made upcoming here, I think are going to be uh, – Maybe more than most organizations who some are, you know, some are going for it and some are rebuilding. The Kings are not in any of those stages, so it makes it difficult. Uh, here in Vancouver, the Canucks probably fall in the in the latter category where, at least for this season, they look like they're they're taking a step back, and obviously the standings reflect that. They just traded Bo Horvat, obviously, but now the name coming up uh, in rumors has been Thatcher Demko. Uh, and you mentioned it, the Kings kind of have a need for goaltending, and they have a, a quite quite a wealth of prospects. What do you think of uh, a fit between Demko and the Kings? Yeah, it's uh, the issue with the Kings deals with Jonathan Quick's number at 5.8 comes off this year, but Cal Peterson, who is down in the minors at this time, carries a $5 million number. So that's again that that's the stage the kings are in there's a long-term vision but there's also that short term the short term is that this season the the save percentage the the goaltending has just not been up to snuff the king's analytic numbers underneath when you look at defense and preventing and suppressing chances they do a great job but the puck still seems to be ending up in their net so it's one of those things where save percentage has been huge so to, to bring up a name like Demko again, now you're 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 re, completely remodeling your whole goaltending position. So that's possible, I guess. It's just a little bit more complicated than most again, especially at that position, because you have Peterson in the minors at this time trying to find his game, and with the number he carries going two years after this year, uh, it's going to be a, you know again it's a it's a bigger decision than just trying to solidify for now. The issue in, in Vancouver when it's come to, to goaltending, and it, it wasn't an issue last year because Demko played at such a high level, but the environment for goaltenders has been tough. It doesn't seem like that's the case with the Kings. So what's what stood out for why the goaltending hasn't been at the level that, uh, that a team with the, the Kings' expectations might expect? Well, you know, the thing that stands out, to be honest, is that, you know, Cal Peterson was signed... Uh, previous to this year, to a three-year extension at $5 million a year. So he was expected to be the guy that maybe gradually took over for Jonathan Quick. It didn't have to happen all in one year. Uh, but his game struggled so much that it you know, it was one of those where they had to deep, dig down and get Phoenix Copley, who was signed in the minor leagues. Uh, you know, 30 years old, so he's not a kid. Veteran, he has NHL experience. And, uh, you know, he was able to take over with Quick. And Peterson, again, you're looking at numbers, the save percentages, uh, you know, goals saved above, all these numbers that the analytics that they look at, it just, it's really weird how 
The Kings are at the top of the league or near the top of the league in defensive numbers, but then the goaltending is completely at the bottom of the league. So there's a huge gap right there, and that's, uh, again, that's just a concern. It's the, it's the issue. It's, again, long-term, short-term. You know, Rob Blake has his, you know, his work cut out for him when he makes that decision what to do now. Uh, but, again, coming in, it was expected to be Peterson to take over. Did not take place. Jonathan Quick's numbers have not been there. Um, and that's, that's where, one thing Phoenix Copley has done, he's come in and kind of solidified and stabilized things just because of his style, a little bit more composed, a little calmer, a little bit more quiet. Um, just the numbers, he, he, the other guys allow first goals in a game, and he doesn't. The Kings seem to score first, and that just seems to settle things down. So all of those things together, <laughs> I still... What was expected is not happening right now, I can tell you that. One of the more interesting players to me uh, kind of in the King system is Alex Turcotte. Uh, I know he's kind of had his, his injury issues and concussion issues. What, do you, what have you thought about his development, and, and what do you see for him long term? It's a great question. It's a big debate here in Los Angeles. Uh, of course, it's a concern since he was fifth overall pick. Um, has not been able to be healthy enough to get enough games in a row, even at the American Hockey League level. I guess that's happened now, but not at the NHL level. He's, he, he was with the Kings. He's been sent back down for this all-star break area, but I assume he would be recalled once the Kings start up again, depending on other injuries uh, to forwards. But uh, certainly behind the timeline, I think that everyone expected. Uh, I think he gets into NHL games, it seems like, uh, it seems to me that he will have to learn how to play a faster game, a quicker game. I think he has that skill. It's not like he has to pick up in that area. I just think that at other levels, he was a very tenacious on the puck, hounding the puck all over the puck with good offensive vision. Uh, right now, at least at this point, and that can change when you learn and you understand, you get timing down and when to speed up, when to slow down. Uh, I think he is not at the NHL strength level yet. To, to be able to battle in the corners with guys and come up with pucks. At least we have not seen that yet. Uh, again, the scouting report, what he did at other levels, at junior and college, he was able to take control with the puck. And so far at the NHL level, and I guess even at the American hockey level where his numbers have not been through the roof, uh, he is trying to figure that out right now. It's interesting because we're... I guess a couple of years removed from the Kings being crowned as the best prospect pool. They've got a lot of high-end players uh, because they've been picking high in the draft, but they've also done a nice job uh, getting that depth and having, especially on defense, a lot of players making that a, a really long list of prospects. But as time goes by, I think you need those players to either make the leap eventually to the NHL, uh, and there are only so many spots, or see progress. So a guy like Turcotte, uh, because he was a, a high pick, the expectation is that there needs to be some progress. It doesn't necessarily mean that he needs to be an NHL star right away, but people are looking for that kind of development overall what's the what's the view of, of where the kings are at from a from a prospect perspective yeah i think they're at the position where they have still an abundance of those category of players where they have not yet established their nhl career yet the lower level junior or college resume is real solid again i think the kings they, they were you know top five there for three or four years in a row 
independent sources all over, multiple independent sources saying, I, I don't know if there was ever that, you know, that A plus type of player, but there was a lot of A's. And, uh, you know, again, Quentin Byfield would be another guy, second overall. He has had some injury issues. He's finally found a home right now, at least on left wing, with Kopitar and Kempe on the Kings' top line. So, and, he, and he's really, I really like the way he's adjusted his game to a wing position where he's, he's a little bit more physical on the wing than he was at center. No question has the skill. I'm talking high-level elite skill, hands, feet, foot speed, those types of things for a big kid. Uh, but he still has some growth to go. So uh, I, I guess the abundance right now, guys, appears to be mobile right-hand shot defensemen, which out there, you know, right-hand defensemen, are, that's what you want. And so that's where they think they have multiple layers of those guys. They have three guys in the NHL right now. They have Jordan Spence in the American Hockey League. Uh, they have Clark in the OHL, who was a high pick and played nine games already this season. Uh, of course, gold medal with the Canadian team. So uh, Brant's uh, done a good job there. Uh, I guess I just heard his numbers the other day. The last 10 games, I guess. In the o- he's like fifth in scoring for OHL defensemen. He's played like nine games. So it's just it shows that he has the talent. But that's where it is right now with the Kings. Right-handed, mobile, modern-day defensemen. Uh, that's what they have, and they have a lot of them. Uh, and since they have a wealth of that, does that kind of strike you as a busy, uh, position if – if the Kings were to make a move, whether it be for someone like Thatcher Demko or, like you mentioned earlier, if they need a left-handed defenseman with size, do you think they would be willing to move someone that comes from that wealth of right-handed defensemen? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that's – and, you know, it's always difficult for me anyway as an ex-player and certainly following the team and working for the team to, to comment about, you know, trading guys. But that that is right there. That's right in front of everyone's face. That's – They've built a pool like that. that they, uh, I think it was part of uh, who was available at the time, but also you know, when you can stockpile those right-handers, I think it gives you a, a big bonus there where you can really dangle those out there. And that's unfortunately for some of the guys, if, if they want to stay around here, that's the position that is the strongest and that has the deepest right now. Uh, those players we're talking about too are, again, they're, they're not necessarily you know, bona fide NHLers. Uh, you know, a Sean Dursey, certainly, a, Sean Walker, they played. They played last year in the playoffs. They had outstanding. Again, Jordan Spence, who played last year in the playoffs, has played basically all year this year in the American Hockey League. And Clark. So there's four right there. And that's not even, you know, digging very much deeper. So uh, that's that's the position. That's where you would look. Um, and I think that's what other teams are looking at because they know the Kings have a lot of them. Assuming that, or even if the the Kings don't make a big move this year, they're still in the thick of the of things in, in the Pacific Division. Uh, it, it would take, I think, something pretty extraordinary for them not to be in the playoffs. But w- what's the expectation at this point? If if they're going to stay the course, they're not going to make a big move. Uh, they they were a team that gave the Oilers um, some some challenges in the first round last year. Is that the bar for them to? get past the first round this year and, and continue that, that steady progress? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think that's the, the external expectation. I think uh, internally it's, it's just a matter of getting, uh, getting everyone into the proper mindset, uh, getting everyone into a position where, you know, hopefully that like every team, you can get the, the health that you need again, right now out of the lineup. Again, these guys, you know, you have uh, Velarde out of the lineup. You have Trevor Moore out of the lineup. They really miss his speed and tenacity. 
Arthur Kaliev. So with Velarde and Kaliev, we're talking about those types of players we were just talking about, right? That, that young prospect, uh, great numbers in junior, have, have, have made the transition to the NHL, have done pretty good at the, but not yet, you know, at that level where you say, okay, bona fide uh, NHLer. So, uh, you know, if those guys come back, then does that affect the depth? Uh, I would expect that, you know, playoffs is what they need. You always want to go further than the previous year. The matchup will be important. But, again, the question mark is, and you guys are know, you're talking about it, you're touching on it, is, you know, if they do make a decision in goal, what can they find out there on the market that will truly upgrade what they have right now? You mentioned Demko, but if you bring him in, what happens to the salary cap issues in goal? Then you have $10 million in goaltending. So it's those types of things that you have to – to sort out, so to speak, before you move forward. Hey, Jim, we uh, really appreciate you taking the time. Have a good one. Guys, my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Jim. That is Jim Fox, LA Kings analyst for Bally Sports, talking a lot about what the Kings are going through right now, what their what their priorities are ahead of the deadline, and obviously the big one for Canucks fans, Thatcher Demko. Uh, and we talked about that. He mentioned it. The the difficulty for the Kings is the cap situation in goal. Um, and that's why I, I do think if the Canucks were to be trade partners with um, the Kings, you would see them taking back someone like Jonathan Quick or Cal Peterson just to kind of make the, the cap work. I would assume or hope if you're the Canucks that if you're taking someone like Peterson back who – is kind of getting way overpaid for what he's producing right now. You're getting more assets on top of it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I do think that's going to be necessary for the two teams to make a trade work. Yeah, uh, it's just kind of the reality of the the league at this point. Uh, you, you can't just make those those moves, uh, even, even with contracts that you would consider value. Uh, teams, uh, for the most part, are, are dollar in, dollar out. And that's when you, you layer in the the process the next prospect or another draft pick to account for that but you've got to be really buttoned up to, to make these moves work it's interesting to hear that the look the, the kings is the kings are in that playoff spot and the, they're second in the pacific right now uh they've got a a, a minus 10 goal differential it's kind of they're the minnesota surprising. vikings of the nhl <laughs> <laughs> just uh getting by on fun differential yeah so. look it's 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 odd it, it, it is odd and that's it stands out, I guess, because it's quite a different team than those teams that were winning the cup. But th those teams really relied on the Daryl Sutter defensive hockey. Uh, this is a younger group. Yeah, Kopitar's still there. Uh, but they they are a little bit more of a modern team. Uh, we've seen that. We saw that in that series with, with Edmonton, where there were a couple spurts where they, they really gave the Oilers some trouble. And Connor McDavid put the team on his back and, and made that that series go away, but there was a there was a brief period of time there where people thought the Kings are way ahead of schedule. They could beat an Oilers team uh, that had higher aspirations. Um, it, yeah, it's it'll it'll be interesting. I, I think that they're still in a pretty good position long term. Mm -hmm. uh, when you, when you looked at the Pacific Division, is so odd. Where Vegas, for the most part, has been quite good this year. They had a bit of a blip, and they've had some injuries, uh, and and the, the Kraken are doing. The Kraken are having this success in a way that is not unprecedented, but just so weird from a lineup perspective where they are dominating teams with their bottom six. They've got like the best bottom six of all time <laughs> yeah. and their top six isn't scoring a ton. 
but isn't getting caved in. So they're they're doing it in a, in a pretty unorthodox way. The kings are a little bit more traditional, and which is why it seems like a fit of hey, get a goalie that can give you that save that you haven't been getting this season. Yeah, and we were talking to Jim about their current goaltending situation, and it's just it's hard to look at their defense and like their their defense looks solid. And you mentioned the goal differential, and it just seems to be coming down to goaltending because like look. The, they are starting 31-year-old Phoenix Copley, who Jim mentioned like he has good numbers, but are you confident in him? Probably not. And 37-year-old Jonathan Quick, who his uh his best years are obviously behind him. It just it almost makes too much sense for the Canucks to pursue trading with the Kings. Uh, and we've talked about this a lot. When you look at their top prospect system or their prospect system, it's one of the top in the league, and it has all the pieces that the Canucks are looking for. We talked about uh, Alex Turcock, Quinton Byfield. Like, I don't know if they're willing to move on from guys like that, but they would be interesting. And then three of their top five prospects are right-handed defensemen. Brent Clark, who I don't think the Canucks would be able to to get him in a trade for Thatcher Demko because. He does seem like the heir apparent to Drew Doughty in L.A., but then you look at Jordan Spence, who is in uh, the AHL right now, putting up good numbers. Helga Granz is is one of their top prospects as well, and then they have a few other guys too. It's just, it seems to make way too much sense for the Canucks to trade with the Kings, and I just I I struggle to see how another team would be able to match a similar package and similar desperation that the Kings would seem to have. Yeah, the the Kings have that that prospect depth. I, I think Pittsburgh has come to mind because they don't necessarily have that goalie of the future locked up. You know, we've seen Tristan Jari play well, but he's coming up to free agency. And that's the that's a team that's on the other side of. I guess the Kings kind of have it both because they've got Kopitar and Doughty, and it's these guys are still effective players. Uh, but we have all of this young talent around them, and the Penguins are trying to extend that Sidney Crosby window, Malkin window. Uh, can we get a goalie that's cost effective and do that? They just obviously don't have the prospect capital that a team. Uh, a team like uh, like the Kings do, and and it's not like the the Penguins are going to be able to help from a, a cap perspective either. So, I'm look if if you if you're really entertaining trading Demko, you're you're looking at at those kinds of teams. But like you said, Josh, the, the Kings for a number of reasons, what they can offer, and then the situation that they're in, it, it really checks both boxes. Yeah, the only part of it that doesn't make sense is that they're in the same division, but. If they're given the best package, you just deal with it and you play Demko four times a year and hope that it doesn't bite you in the in the butt. But uh, let's go to the text line 650-650. Uh, this one, what's left on Quick's contract uh, just this year at $5.8 million? So it would be very quick for the Canucks to... I didn't mean to do that on purpose, but it would the, the contract would run out very quickly. Uh, this one, Tristan Jari, bring the kid home. I do think I, I saw this online a little bit that, Hey, maybe the Canucks trade Thatcher Demko somewhere and then sign Jari in the off season. I just worry that the goaltender market, it's so, it's so difficult to predict when someone's a UFA 
I just I feel like there's a good chance Jari gets overpaid, and that's the only reason I'd be kind of hesitant. But it would be it would be interesting to see how he fits. Obviously, has the the Pittsburgh connection as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, we we see the the goalie market is uh, for anyone that's had some degree of of success, you're gonna get term and you're gonna get you're gonna get dollars um, unless you're coming off of a really significant injury or you're coming off of uh, real question marks about what you can do, you know, like Frederick Anderson toward the end in Toronto, people had just completely given up on him. And it was a scenario where uh, Carolina was like, Oh no, we'll we'll take a chance on a guy that we'd seen play at a high level before Uh, Jari has had, he's had the injury concerns and he's missed some time, but when he's healthy, he's, he's he's had a a pretty steady thing there. And yeah, you're, you're looking at another type of commitment, but Again, if the Canucks are really entertaining trading Demko uh, and not having that goalie, the future lined up, uh, a guy like Jari is at least worth exploring. That that that's where we're at with this team, for sure. Uh, we'll talk more about this and more on the other side. It is Sportsnet 650, the People Show with Josh Elliott, Wolf, and Israel Fair on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to the People Show. Josh Elliott Wolf, Israel Fair, coming to you live from the Kintech Studio. You can text in 650 650, the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street, Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center, or Arbutus in Vancouver online at dunbarlumber.com. Izzy, during the break, we, uh, we had a big, we found something kind of disgusting in the studio i wouldn't even say kind of disgusting very disgusting in the studio yeah it was a used tissue and like evidently used sitting on the shelf behind you within arm's reach of you and i think we can only blame one person i think so because it wasn't me was and it's hard to believe so the people that sit in your chair are well this week it's you um, Satyar Shaw sits there. Yep. And the morning show, Mike Halford sits there. That's right. So if it wasn't you, and Drant sits here, but he's oh, they're Drant not they're not here. There, this yes, week. yeah. Um, if it wasn't you, that leaves two options. That's right. And I work with Sat a lot. Sat um is made, I think, at least two percent of hand sanitizer. Yes, he is as clean a guy as you will find. Yeah. I don't even think he would blow his like 72% water, 2% hand sanitizer. Yeah, we're doing this like 75 hard challenge in the yeah. in, as a station later this month. He is already doing it. Yeah. Every day. P90 sat. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that leaves one option. Mike Halford. The show that was just here. The show that was just Earlier here. this morning. Doing the Macarena with Atu Ratu in it. They think they run this show. The station. It's ridiculous. And they're just leaving tissues everywhere. Poor Dom has to come in here and like pick it up with his hands. He used his hands, by the way. Are your hands clean now, Dom? I bathed in uh Purell after I did that. Okay. You're good. two you're two percent hand sanitizer as well. <laughs> yeah. Uh so it's just it's it's a lot. I they they must have gotten distracted about uh while doing the macarena. And yeah. he's just throwing tissues. They had a very excited him. segment. Um, this other, well, we got a text from Rager. 
Rager obviously knows our seating arrangements. Yeah. Harmon was in the seat the other day, too. Blame Harmon. He was wearing Yeah, a... but it wasn't there after Harmon left. Yeah, it was it was definitely here today. How did you did you you I wasn't in here when you found it, so you just came in and saw it or did you yeah, see it, it was in just the monitor? Sitting there unassumingly and I was like, Oh, next there's to, a used next tissue to Bobby on the Wagner. Show. Next to well, he went to go put Bobby Wagner up. Okay. That's when he when Respect he found to the Bobby. tissue. You've heard of Elf on a Shelf. <laughs> well, it's just tissue on a shelf. <laughs> Kleenex on a shelf. And the other part of it is, it wasn't even Kleenex. Like, this dude is using paper towel. How it Does his nose hurt? <laughs> like, that's rough. We don't have good paper towel here. This isn't bounty. This is what you get when you go to, like, a public washroom paper towel. Maybe maybe that's why he was he was so distraught about how how raw his nose was after using the paper towel he just threw it. But anyway, still getting over that. Still getting over that. Um is that as I'm trying to find a segue. I'm going to ditch it because it's not going to work. What do you think <laughs> What do you think of uh of Brand Marchand's Twitter game lately? Uh, he's, uh, he's. Can you think of a segue? Because I can't. <laughs> he's not afraid to to put it out there. Yeah, it's. Uh, do you? So is this the type of like attitude or like online personality? I guess I would say that you want to see from hockey players, like this kind of thing where they're they're putting themselves out there more. Because that's been that's been a big complaint about hockey is like if you want to grow the game you need players to act more like they do in the nba where they're mm-hmm, they're mm-hmm. more online they're they're very opinionated like people know what nba players are about i couldn't tell you like the first thing about Sidney crosby other than he likes the number 87 yeah he's good he's good at hockey yeah that's about it so like i i understand when i when i see his twitter game i'm like okay it's a brad marchand so yeah like, it's a, it's a little bit cringy at times but at least he's trying. He's true to himself. Yeah. I and mean, that's the thing. He's he's already a villain in pretty much every market outside of Boston. Uh, certainly in this one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Probably also Montreal, Toronto. Yeah. Uh, any, and any of, of the other teams that they're rivals with. He's in Toronto with. tonight. Yes. That's so. a, a big quote-unquote game uh, for, for regular season anyway right before the break. Not that uh, you know, Boston's had just unbelievable start to this season in Toronto. There was a time early in the year where people were sort of concerned and that has completely gone away and here we are because of the playoff format already looking to a, a Toronto-Tampa matchup again yeah. uh, in, in the first round. I guess it was Toronto-Boston for, for a while when uh, when Tampa was was that one seed. But uh, yeah, I mean, Brad Marchand weighed, weighed in on the uh, Troy Stetcher-Trevor Zegras situation, which is what caused him... Uh, to weigh in again because uh, he was asked about it before the Bruins game in Toronto tonight and uh, basically said that <laughs> his tweet spoke for itself. Yeah. And when he took some criticism from uh, media media members, uh, he, he continued down the, the rabbit hole. So, again, yeah, pretty pretty true to character. Uh, I don't know. Like, if, if Bo Horvat, let's use Bo Horvat as the guy we've been talking about him all week uh, for the, the class and professionalism that he handled himself with in Vancouver, uh, having played here for a long time, having been the captain for the last few years. If that was his Twitter today, 
Uh, I would have been stunned, and I, I don't know if that would help the game. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I think for a guy like Marshawn, who's already when you play, he's past into... the point of no return. Yeah, exactly. He knows he's the villain, but I do still think like we don't need to see players do that specifically. But I think fans, and hey, maybe there maybe there's like a point where it's it's too much because a lot of these guys might think differently than than the general audience that's watching them but you want to know what these guys are about off the ice and you want to be able to kind of connect with them more and I I think part of it comes down to teams like I know for example like the Anaheim Ducks have a pretty good social media game where they they have I think it's like Ryan Getzlaff's kid it is yeah I saw that video the yeah other day. they they have a few of them where he's like interviewing players and they know how to like, and part of it is they're a young team, but they know how to get players to like kind of show more of their personality. And I just wonder if it's if it falls more on the teams trying to maybe loosen up a little bit more, or if it's the players putting themselves out there. Because part of it as well is like some players when they try to put themselves out there, like I think of like PK Subban, mm-hmm. they start to get vilified eventually because yeah. they, they say too much and it gets used against them. Yeah. Or I mean like Elias Pettersson didn't really say anything. He just was, he used to post a lot and that yeah, got, people got mad that he used social media. Yeah, Like he got, he got criticized. I don't know how many people you would say what kind of segment of the fan base that was, but it was enough for him to acknowledge it and say, well, this isn't worth it. And I was on the side at the time that I thought it was cool that Pedersen was showing people his interests outside of hockey. And I don't think it had any impact. I, I know that it, it lined up narrative wise because he spent a lot of time on social media in an off season. And then and he talked he, about it as well. He, he didn't play well. And people mm-hmm. thought maybe he was distracted. I've, I've always gotten the sense that he's really committed to being the best player he can be and putting himself in the conversation of the best players in the league. But it is it's a it's an interesting, uh, if not challenging, conversation to have about, uh, especially hockey players. I think we're just so we're just so unaccustomed to seeing that kind of public display. Like there are there are characters in the game. There have always been characters in the game, um, but they. I think we we tend to they, like you said, Josh. We tend to vilify them like right away. And sometimes it has to do with their on-ice persona, too. Mm-hmm. Like Brad Marchand, yes. Tom Wilson, yes. But those are two guys that have been unafraid to speak up about whatever you know controversy is out there and not, not be too afraid of it. P.K. Subban is an, an outlier in the sense that he was praised for it for a long time, especially when he was at the top of his game. And then that, that took a turn, uh, and, and his play took a turn. And uh, being in Montreal probably didn't help as well a lot of attention there so yeah i think that that's part of it is it also depends on the market you're in and that's why i think teams like anaheim or or some other that don't have as much attention on them they're able to try these things because it's not going to get as much blowback if uh if it doesn't go as well uh 650 650 the dunbar lumber text line a uh, lot of lot of text about the paper towel. This one, torque paper towel, worse stuff. It cuts when you wipe. I agree. It's not it's not good. Uh, the tissue is a plant. Someone is trying to set Halford up. Marcus and Gibson's. Dom, are you trying to set Halford up? Are you mad about leaving the show? 
No, not at all. It was the best day of my life. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, <laughs> sorry, Andy. Hope you're having fun. <laughs> best day of my life. I mean, to be fair, I, you just sat through the Jets season, so. Yeah, it is, it's not a high bar. Um, not yeah. a lot of good Sundays either. No. Yeah, you, not only do you have to wake up very early on weekdays, you then wake up on Sunday, you get to watch your favorite football team, maybe sitting there with a cup How of coffee. How have we gotten to this point? No, back to Tissue Gate, back to Clean Air Ski. <laughs> I well, take every chance I can to bring up the Jets. By the way, Dom off air has been just so demanding lately. Off, like trying to get me to do reads and stuff. Yeah, I'm power hungry. He is power hungry. He's like, wow, new host. Gotta go. Gotta get him. Um, but no, hey, thanks, Tom. Thanks for all. Uh, thanks for all the help producing. I know you're going to you're going to Central tomorrow and Friday. So please take care of the show. I have no idea what I'm doing. Oh, wow, that's not good. That's not good. Maybe yeah, no sh- clue. Yeah, I barely ever listen to that show. Fair. Just like me with uh with Canucks talk. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, maybe let's get into some Canucks talk. So, I I don't know how much we can read into the first few games under Rick Tockett, and I don't know if we want to read too much into it. But I guess we never got your take on. And obviously, I think we can we can avoid the whole. Boudreaux part of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We all know that. We, we've uh, put that to bed. Yeah, that wasn't handled very well. But what do you think? And it, it's kind of hard to take anything from the first few games they played. And obviously, they haven't had a lot of practice time. But what do you think of the long-term outlook with Rick Tockett now at the helm for the Canucks? It's pretty clear that uh, there there's a, a direction here now. Um, that Tockett, it's, it, you know, the, the buzzwords have already been identified uh practice habits structure system line changes there there has been uh yeah a couple of areas at the very least that are are pinpointed for what what the team is looking for what the canucks are 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 looking to be different from from the way that they have played so i'm i'm intrigued uh i'm not someone who thought that for as much as the Bruce situation kind of got out of hand at the end, that there there weren't uh, that there weren't areas that the team could improve. That that there that there were like I, sh- I guess I should say there were areas that the team could improve. Even if whatever you think of the way that that was handled, it's not like this was a perfect situation, perfectly coached team based on on the results. So that that there is at least two or three things, and we could definitely argue the semantics of how important that stuff is and how much of it is just ultimately going to come down to personnel. Mm-hmm. But they, they, they're they the ones running the team. They're the ones who clearly believe in this. Um, so I, I'm I'm intrigued to see it play out and, and what that means for... Uh, I would say the number one thing I'm looking to is in-game accountability. So JT Miller has you know, a pass that you can't believe an NHL player has made uh, in his own zone. We've seen a few times. This and we have. And like we, we got, it got to the point where, you know, he made uh, one of his no look passes in the defensive zone. And it was uh, a terrible turnover. The Canucks didn't end up getting, and the, the play that I'm thinking of in particular didn't end up getting scored on, but it was the one where Luke Shen was on the ice. Like, dude, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what What's that accountability going to look like from Rick Tockett? I, I think that's going to be different than what we've seen. 
um, and trying, yeah, trying to instill those habits. Uh, I, again, I don't, I don't know if that's the, the thing that puts them over the top. I don't know if that's something that's going to make a huge difference until we get some personnel shift, but I'm, I am at least willing to buy into to this part of it uh, for, for when it comes to, to the change. And we, we've gotten questions about this uh, a couple times, I think earlier, earlier in the week. Does Rick Tockett seem more like a like the long-term coach or more of a transitional coach? And I do think that a lot of it has to do with like every coach, even Elaine Vigneault, Mark Crawford, those are the two most tenured coaches in Canucks history, I believe, uh, a coach for seven years, or at least just as a coach um, tenure-wise. They, there's a shelf life for every NHL head coach. And I do wonder if, they look at Rick Tockett as a guy that they identify as someone that they know this team isn't going to be super competitive in the next one, two, maybe even three years. And so they look at him as someone that can instill what we were just talking about, the practice habits and and the structure as opposed to trying to win games night in, night out like Bruce was regardless of how they were playing structure-wise or anything like that. And then, hey, maybe Tockett isn't the guy that is with them when they eventually start competing in the playoffs and and consistently making the playoffs or competing for Stanley Cups or or anything past that but I do I do think he might be the guy to get him to that point and so to answer the question I do think he is probably just by default maybe more of a transitional coach. Yeah, I can see that. I mean we had that conversation with Travis Green to a certain degree and that was when he was coming up from the minors. Uh, he had some relationship with the, a few of the players that he had coached, but not, you know, certainly not the star players uh, that that were were coming up. But he he was coming from a, a development uh, a development environment, and that was going to be uh, where the Canucks were headed. And uh, then things sort of shifted uh, when they, they had the success in the bubble, and then after that, uh, it didn't take very long uh, for that stuff to go away, given the way that they had played. Uh, the ensuing season, and then the, obviously the beginning of last season. Um, I, I, I'm curious to see if we start to get any hints uh, as to how someone like Tockett's being evaluated. It was very, very public what, Mi- what they thought too public. Yes, yeah. uh, about Boudreaux mm-hmm. and what was not right about his program and the way that he was approaching things. I would imagine that they're more so on the same page. I would imagine the talk it's going to be on message. Not that Bruce wasn't, but but Boudreaux was obviously sticking to the things that had made him successful in the NHL. Right? He's he's been a, a guy that's brought teams to the conference finals, had tons of regular season success. What what was that going to look like? Uh, but it's it's going to be. For Tockett, as, as much as for the players that are still here for the next month and then after the trade deadline, how they're going to play, what what this is going to look like. Um, and again, yeah, like the, the accountability. Uh, are, are there going to be serious benchings? Like we didn't really see that under the last coaching staff. It wasn't like a guy like JT Miller makes a bad play. He's sitting for a period. Uh, you, you look at the, the Flyers right now. Uh, with John Tortorella, and that's a bad team. Mm-hmm. They brought in Tortorella and have given him free reign in the organization. 
you can do pretty much whatever you want. I mean, we were laughing about this in the in the prep room yesterday when we were looking at the all-star rosters. Kevin Hayes is an all-star, and he was a healthy scratch this <laughs> yeah. year because John Tortorella didn't think his defensive game was up to snuff, and he's taken him off of center. He's not playing center right now. He's playing the wing. And like Tor- and if this is John Tortorella is the high end extreme of what you'll get from a coach publicly and what you'll get from a coach from in game accountability. Where he, he like he's had quotes this year where he's talking about Noah Cates, a young player on the Flyers, and he's just like Noah Cates understands defense more than Kevin Hayes, who's been in the <laughs> league forever and just signed a seven year deal for seven plus million with the Flyers. Uh, he's not afraid to do all of that kind of stuff. I don't think Tockett has that kind of reign here. But I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing what where that line is because it's uh, it's going to be different than what we've seen over the last year and a half. Yeah, because people, like, near the, obviously near the end of Bruce's tenure, we saw him scratch OEL earlier in the year. We saw Kuzmenko, but you're right. We never really saw uh, a bigger name. And OEL is is a semi-big name, but someone of uh of like JT Miller quality who look I know I know he's been very divisive I do think he's still been better than people think this year and I think the hate has maybe gone a bit overblown but that being said he's still made a lot of a glory or major mistakes that that you just need to iron out if you're a guy that's getting paid as much as JT Miller is getting. And the other part of it is like, I do think you take the good with the bad with Miller and that's kind of always been his thing. The issue is just that the, the bad is outweighing the good right now. And I do wonder if talk similar to Tortorella in Philadelphia feels he needs to sit a guy for a game or two, especially in a season that now doesn't matter to try to help get them back to where he thinks they should be and where we've seen for Miller, for example, where we've seen him be. And I don't think Miller would get scratched, but to your point, maybe sit him for a period or two and and have some accountability for what happened on the ice. Right. I think like, I think the scratch list or the potential scratch list ends or, or starts depending on which way you want to look at it with OEL. Like that's the high paid player. That's as high as you can go. But like I, Patterson, I don't think outside of something unbelievable happening is in that position. Same with Hughes. And I, I do think you're right that Miller is probably outside of that purview, whether you think that's right or wrong. Uh, like what JT Miller did last year is better than what Kevin Hayes has ever done. Mm-hmm. And uh, he just signed that deal. The team is... Not good, but not quite as bad as the Flyers. It's not the same sort of message. So I think anybody else, like, you know, we, we even heard of Besser or Garland. Um, I think those guys, the issue hasn't been missed assignments and things of that nature. It's just been making an impact. Uh, and that that's uh, that's a more difficult thing to police, right? Like, it's more difficult for, it's it's way easier to point out the mistakes that you see. Yeah, it's it's hard to be like, hey, you're not, you're not bringing enough. Yeah. And and to do that, you, I think, really have to have some, like your 13th forward has to be someone that's in position to come in and uh, make, n- not make an impact, but play with energy. Like you have to have someone that's absolutely ready to, to fill that role. I don't know if the Canucks have that person where it's just like, hey, you know, if, if you're not going to make an effort, we have this guy who 
sure his ceiling maybe is limited, but we we know that they're gonna they're gonna give their all. We're gonna have that. It's not this isn't apples to apples, but it's sort of like when Alex Biega was the extra extra guy on the fence, and he would get in a game, and you knew exactly what you were going to get. And I don't think that the Canucks at that time, I guess Green was the coach. It wasn't like, hey, if you don't play for if you don't play with a certain amount of effort, we're gonna put Biega in because we know that we're going to get that. But that was probably just understood. And like when we saw him play and it was mostly through injuries, you knew what the bar was. And I don't think the Canucks have that. Um, and especially when you, you know, you have two of your younger players who would be in that scenario and like Hoaglander and put in both did get scratched at points, but then it just becomes, well, we'll send them down to the minor leagues. We're sending them down to the AHL. Well, well they'll play. They can get away with making some mistakes or trying to figure out their game. Uh, but that, yeah, that will be, that will be interesting. Uh, and I know a lot of people made a lot of um, Tockett's comments after uh, the Seattle game <laughs> because yeah. that was uh, unusual to hear a coach say that. Um, if, if we're going to get more of that this year, uh, how that is perceived by the market and by the players will we'll certainly get a reaction. Definitely. Uh, we will be joined next by Sportsnet's Ian McIntyre. Uh, going to get his thoughts two days out on the Horvat trade and maybe what Anthony Beauvillier and Atu Ratu can bring to the Canucks moving forward. And we'll also talk a bit about Thatcher Demko, whose names whose name keeps coming up in trade talks. All that and more coming up next. It is Josh Elliott Wolf, Israel Fair, the People Show on Sportsnet 650. Everything Canucks before and after the games. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to The People Show. It is Josh Elliott Wolf and Israel Fair coming to you live from the Kintex studio. Uh, you can always text in 650-650, the Dunbar Lumber text line. We are going to be joined by Sportsnet's triple threat, Ian McIntyre, momentarily. Uh, going to talk a bit about the Horvat trade, what's going on uh, with Thatcher Demko, if it makes sense to move him, uh, and much more surrounding the Canucks with Ian McIntyre, uh, 650-650, Dunbar Lumber text line. This one from Sam. Yeah, scratch a 99-point guy. That's a good idea. Again, I don't know if we were we were talking about Miller before the break. I think, and, and to your point, he is probably in the realm of guy on the team where you can't really scratch him, but I do think there needs to be more accountability. And that's why... Hey, maybe he's, he's playing less on a given night. Not only does that help him, that probably also helps the team because it keeps him fresh longer. Yeah, and there, I mean, there's another text here, Jason and Burnaby. Totally disagree with you boys. If Miller makes numerous lazy line changes, gives away multiple pucks, gives up on back checks on successive plays, he should be a healthy scratch for a few games. Big paycheck in the A on his shoulder should make him more accountable, not less. That's something that, you know, at least one fan out there might be interested in seeing. Uh, if there was, like, let's just entertain the notion, JT Miller, healthy scratch. It, it, a few games would never happen. Like, yeah. we're, we're both saying it wouldn't happen anyway, mm-hmm. but if, if it was... If it ever reached that point, I think it would be one game. But I, I neither of us thinks that that's even yeah. remotely in the realm of possibility anyway. 
Uh, let's welcome in Sportsnet's Triple Threat, Ian McIntyre, joining us on The People Show, Josh Elliott-Wolf and Israel Fair. He's brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Ian, how are you? I'm doing well. It looks like you guys uh, picked a good week to guest host, except, of course, you don't get to pick it. Somebody tells you or asks you. I guess maybe you do pick it, but uh, there's a lot happening this week for what was supposed to be a quiet all-star bye week. Yeah, were you supposed to, were you expecting like a few days off here? Like you were going to? Well, I was expecting a couple of days off, but I was supposed to write uh, at least a couple of days as well. And it became pretty obvious on Monday what those, yeah. what those days would be <laughs> and what I would be writing about. Uh, so you've, you've had a couple of days. I know we had you on uh, pretty closely following the trade. Uh, you've had a couple days to digest it now. What do you? What are your thoughts, and and what do you kind of expect to see from the two pieces the Canucks got in the Horvat deal? Well, it's as I said on on Monday. I think they probably checked all their boxes, and and uh, again, we don't know what what else they were offered, what else they were looking for, who else they were talking to. But in terms of the components of, of what they received, uh, it's pretty good. And obviously they thought it was pretty good or they wouldn't have made the deal five weeks ahead of the trade deadline, almost five weeks ahead of the trade deadline. So uh, let's go through them individually. I, th I think that Beauvillier is a good, solid NHL player. Uh, I think he's a guy that fans will notice and a guy that fans will like because he's got a high motor uh, he's always hounding the puck. He's got good speed, and uh, and especially on this team, his speed will stand out. 25 years old with a year to go. And I think how he plays between, well, basically over the next 12 months, 13 months, will determine whether he's actually part of their long-term plans or not. But at the very least, he's, he's uh, an average to slightly better than average uh, NHL forward. And uh, if he's, you know, an asset. So if the Canucks decide next season that he isn't going to be part of their plans, he's probably a guy that at that point with, with just a couple of months left on his contract, which is still significant, you know, at $4.15 million, uh, he's a guy that they could probably get another asset for. But in the meantime, uh, he's, he's just fine. The draft pick is the draft pick, and it comes with all the the possibility of of any first round pick. There's, I think, some excitement to it. The not knowing whether it's going to be uh, a 12 or sorry, a 13 to something pick this year, or whether the Islanders will protect it if they finish in the bottom 12 and it goes to next year. And I know a lot of people uh, are hoping that happens because uh, the Islanders look like they might be past their apex and might be ready for uh, an even bigger fall than, than what we've seen the last couple of years. But I would just caution that, you know, this is an exceptional uh, draft class. And, and if you have a chance to pick 13, 14, 15, 16 in, in this draft class, I would probably take that over whatever, bet you want to make on the Islanders next season. So the draft picks a, a very big component to all this. Patrick Alvin said it was important for them to get the pick and, and they accomplished that. 
Which brings us to Atu Rati, who is the wild card in this trade. He's the guy, in my opinion, will determine whether this is an okay trade, a bad trade, or a great trade uh, for the Canucks because he had, you know, he has great pedigree. Uh, went in hard to believe now because he dropped so far in the draft. Went into that draft as the third-ranked uh, European skater and uh, just plummeted because he didn't have a very good draft year, even though I guess NHL Central scouting saw it differently. But has has had had a terrific draft plus one season last year and has continued that this year. It's impressive that a guy who was 19 when this season began, turned 20 in the fall, was able to transition to the American Hockey League and be a pretty effective player. Not a ton of points, but but some points, but a solid game and solid enough that the Islanders called him up and he got 12 games with them. And we'll know more, I think, in hindsight, whether that was just them showcasing him because they thought maybe they had this trade in the hopper or whether whether he you know genuinely and truly was there on merit. But he certainly didn't. He didn't uh, embarrass himself at the NHL level. He was playing single-digit minutes on the fourth line, so it's hard to show a lot. But played center, uh, used his size, scored a goal in Vancouver, of course. And, you know, if he turns out to be a a second or even a third-line center in the NHL and a guy who can play a two-way game, and, and Alvin also talked about some of the details of his game for such a young player, then, you know, depending on who the Canucks get with that pick, this could be a very good, very good trade for them. But I think you also have to be realistic. And sorry, this might be my longest ever answer. You guys can go for a sandwich <laughs> or something now, because I got a bit to go yet. Please do. Uh, Continue. <laughs> to, to be realistic, uh, if you look at this from the Islanders' perspective, Beauvillier is a guy who probably wasn't in their plans uh, because they have – they have their own cap issues. He's a middle of the lineup player making a, a big chunk of money, and he's a UFA after next season. So let's just say, for argument's sake, the Islanders were were quite happy to include him in this deal. I'd say if Lou Lamorello also thought that Atu Ratti is going to be a stud center in the NHL, you know, the big strong two-way guy that every team seems to want for their second line. I don't think he would have made the trade. So I, I think the fact that they were willing to include him um, is an indication, not necessarily that they think he's going to be a bad player or not an NHL player, but if they thought he was going to be something really special, I don't think they would have included him in a deal for a 27-year-old Bo Horvat who's on an expiring contract. And then they, you know, the pick is always always has value. So they, so they had to surrender a pick but it, from the Islanders perspective you know the biggest thing that they're giving up is probably the pick in their eyes so now it's up to the Canucks and their development team to make something out of Atu Rati and and turn this into a trade where the Canucks end up with not just uh, one player hopefully out of the draft pick and even that we all know is not a slam dunk that you're going to get an NHL player but Hopefully they will, but if they can get Atu Rati to be a good NHL player, then they end up with, with two young assets um, at entry-level money 
who will will help the team, you know, win Bo Horvat's into his 30s, or certainly approaching 30 and then into his 30s. And that would be a good trade for Vancouver. So I think all things all things considered, uh, I think it was a good return, but it's still a little bit sad the way it all played out to have to to have to trade your captain. Well, to that point, Ian, like even in the, the, the context of Canucks history, this has been a particularly tumultuous time with Bruce Boudreaux and, and now trading Bo Horvat. It's a big change. Uh, there's a lot of questions about the leadership inside the dressing room and on the ice with Horvat gone. And there are questions because of the Boudreaux situation about stability in, in, in the organization and in management. Uh, there's only so much that we can learn over the, the rest of this season. But what do you think is key for the organization and for the players that are remaining? What can they do to show that there is stability or that they're at least moving in the right direction in that regard? Well, I mean, I think there is stability. I don't think there's much, there shouldn't be much issue with that now because management finally got their own coach and the coach clearly added a couple of pieces to the staff. So it's his staff. There may be more changes to the staff, the coaching staff this summer, but at least management and coach are now in alignment, which was the basic problem with Boudreaux and Rutherford slash Alvin from the beginning, that it was out of alignment. And, you know, last year when the team was, was winning, it was, it was fine. It was, everyone was happy. They may not have, uh, you know, loved each other, management and coach, but uh, they were, ha- everyone wants to win. And the team was, the team was winning this year when the team, uh, started losing and losing badly. We saw we saw how that dysfunction and disconnect manifested itself between, especially between Rutherford, maybe because he was the more public of the management figures, and Boudreaux. Now they have that in alignment. They have the coach they want, in Rick Tockett, and I think from now to the end of the year, uh, this is just going to be about Tockett establishing expectations and standards and trying to change the mindset of the players who are here and and to get them to uh, do all these miserable little details that are required to win in the NHL and, and a lot of details that obviously had escaped the Canucks because they scored a ton of goals and still lost a ton of games, which tells you how wrong things were with how they with how they were were playing. I, I don't think the wins and losses are gonna matter. I don't imagine they're gonna win a whole lot, although I don't think they're just gonna collapse and lose out to the end as the tankists are, are hoping. I think they're not a very good team, so their their record from here to the end of the year will reflect will reflect that. But I think it's all about finally trying to set some standards and establish uh, the culture that Alvin and Rutherford have been talking about since they got here, and they'll be uh, as far as the players within that culture talk it, and and Alvin will be looking at how people adapt and how they embrace this change, and are they are they able to build these details into their game? Are they able to be less less offensive but better players overall? Uh, that's what we're going to find out between now now and the end of the year. Sportsnet's Ian McIntyre joining us on The People Show, Josh Elliott-Wolf and Israel Fair. Uh, so since the Horvat trade, a few names have come up. Uh, Brock Besser and Connor Garland we've kind of heard throughout the year, but the big one 
is uh, Thatcher Demko. What do you think of the potential of them moving him? And I, at one point, he was kind of labeled part of this core with Pedersen and Hughes. But does this, like how far does this set the team back as in terms of competitive window if they do move on from Thatcher Demko? Yeah, well, I don't really know who is labeling the core because I, I, it was I think around Christmas time or just before that supposedly the only untouchable was Elias Pettersson and and Quinn Hughes was in play as well for the right offer, and uh, Demko was part of the core and I think, you know, <laughs> until recently was part of that core. So we don't know we don't know if anything has transpired behind the scenes. I I haven't. Um, heard uh, any rumblings that Demko has asked out per se. I think he's had a very difficult season with between the injury and his performance and then another injury and everything going on with the team around him. I don't think it's been a very uh, pleasant season for anybody. So maybe maybe he does he does want out. I, I think, you know, my, my short answer would be that everything is on the table and that that yeah, there, there's there's a chance that Thatcher Demko could be traded now that where it that chance didn't exist last summer. It would have been unthinkable after last season that he would be one of the guys that they would trade. But I think I think anything is possible now. But I also think that the Canucks need to see, and again, unless unless something has happened behind the scenes where where Demko has asked out, uh, they have to see what kind of goalie uh, he is now. Like, can they can they get him back to the way he was last season? And and if they can, doesn't mean that they won't necessarily trade him. They certainly could, but I think they need to know what exactly they have on their hands because his season has been so ruined by injury to this point. That even if you're going to trade them, you need to know you need to know what you've what you've got. And so I think that's on an individual basis. I think that's one of the most important uh, player related things they've got to figure out between now and the end of the year. I'd be really surprised if they trade. Look, look at this way: I'd be really surprised if they traded him the next month because he hasn't played. And even the teams that are would be interested in him, and there will there would be lots. And mm-hmm. I know Elliot Friedman has has talked about some of them in his thirty two thoughts, and potentially L A being a front runner. Those teams want to see if he can play uh, before before they go all in uh, on an offer. So I think it's we're running short of time between now and March third to have Demko come back and have him have enough time to to get an accurate gauge on what where his where his game is at. Nobody's going to want to trade for a guy who might not recover form until next season. They, they want to know now what, what kind of player he is, and the Canucks need to know as, as well. So I think that's one of the most important things between now and the end of the year is how the Canucks bring him back and how he does. Like It's not good enough just to come back and be healthy enough to play and play the same way he did in the first uh, month and a half of the season. Like even Thatcher wants to be a lot better than that. That's not good enough for him, let alone the organization. They have to they have to find a way to get him back so that he's fully healthy and has a chance to rebuild his game to the point where he was last year. 
when he was on the periphery of the Vesna Trophy conversation. But I think I think everything is on the table right now for the Canucks. I just think it's it's pretty unlikely that there's going to be enough time for Demko to play and show people that he's still an elite goalie, which I think is necessary if you're actually going to make a blockbuster trade and, and move him on. Canucks have to be really careful about this as well. They've been they've been an organization spoiled with elite goaltending, and it may not seem it uh, on the surface, given how much disappointment there's been with the team as a whole. But if you think about the goalies who have been here from from Luongo and, and Schneider to Markstrom and, and even Ryan Miller mm-hmm. in his three years and Demko after Markstrom, these are that's an elite level of goaltending for, for any organization. And right now the Canucks don't have anybody coming up to replace Demko. It would, you know, I, Spencer Martin, I think, you know, was was good in a backup role. I, I think it's been shown that in a starting role, at least for this team and the way it was playing, uh, he's he's not your NHL starter. And and nor should anyone think that he would have been given his career trajectory. I mean, this is first first year starting in the NHL. He's still trying to prove that he's a goalie uh, at this level and can play at this level. Colin Delia has had a little more NHL experience, but is is a journeyman and you know, they don't have, they don't have an elite prospect. When, when they let Markstrom go, they knew they had Demko coming. Uh, when they decided that three years was enough after Ryan Miller, they had, they had good prospects. They had, they had Markstrom, they had uh, Eddie Lack. So, and, you know, when Luongo, they had Schneider. So the, there's been a string, there's been a succession and there's never really been you know, a gaping void where you, you were really worried about the quality of net mining the Canucks would have. Without Demko right now, you'd be really worried about it. I know a lot of people say it doesn't matter because the team isn't a playoff team anyways, but you'd like to, if you're going to make that trade, have an idea of who's coming next and what's coming next. And right now the Canucks have no idea. The list of uh, things Canucks fans have been concerned about over the last few years is quite long, and it reminds me that there was a time where all we were talking about was Ian Clark and the goalie department. Was he going to stay? What was, what did that look like? Uh, the question that we've gotten uh, with the, these Demko rumblings is, uh, to your point, Ian, well, how, how can they do this because they don't have uh, the right guy or the, the future goalie in the pipeline at the moment, or at least someone that can step in for a, a player like Demko immediately? should he be traded we don't hear about Ian Clark nearly as much as we did during the, that time where it seemed like maybe he wasn't coming back do you get the sense that uh, this management group or the organization still views that as, as somewhat of a competitive advantage or, or or looks at the way that they approach goaltending in general with the sense that uh, that at least if, if they move someone like Demko and they might not have the guy right away but that they feel comfortable thinking that they can either develop that player or, or identify that player in one way or another? Well, they, they should have uh, some comfort in that, and especially with Ian Clark, because he's one of the best in the world. And and uh, I, I don't say that lightly. He, he Just look at the people that he's worked with and look at you know how they have improved under him. So it, it's a huge, a huge uh, development 
bonus, a development engine to have to have that built into your organization. But you still need you still need the goalies to develop. And and Silovs right now is you know a really talented but raw goalie who's learning to play pro hockey in the American League and, and may end up at some point being in the NHL. But they just don't have anyone in the on deck circle like say Demko was before he got a chance to a play in the NHL and B take over as the starter. Like they, they, they knew that he was going to be there for them. Uh, right now there isn't, there isn't anyone there. There isn't anyone there, but you know, again, they're, they may not be good for a couple of years and, and that may not be as big an issue as what it has seemed to be in the last few years, the quality of the goaltending, but uh, I, I think, you know, it would be nice if they had, they had the next one already lined up before they would uh, seriously entertain the notion of trading Jamco. Hey, Ian, uh, really appreciate the time. Have a good one. All right, guys. Lots uh, for you to talk about this week. Yeah. Make sure you leave something for Beck well, coming back next week. <laughs> that's his fault. That's his fault. He took a vacation. Yeah, that's true. That's on him. See you guys. Hey, thanks, thanks, Ian. Ian. Uh, that is Sportsnet's Triple Threat, Ian McIntyre, who was a presentation of Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota All-Star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. Feel bad for Bick a little bit. We, I know we had him on after the Horvat trade, but like this was this was his week. Yeah. He was, he was waiting for this. He was prepping. Yeah, he had the spreadsheets ready. He'll come with some hot takes next week, though. Yeah, he won't let the opportunity pass him completely by. No. And look, it's it's that thing. It's it is it is a bye week, so it's not like the trade happened when there are a bunch of games going on, and um, it gets lost in that. Like we'll we'll still be talking about this next week. Uh, you know, maybe Bix looking at the schedule and, and sees that that first game against the Islanders is the one where he's gonna he's gonna be a full peacock and, and bloom and yes. just all the takes that he's been thinking about with we'll his week off. Of it's it's gonna be that 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 game day is gonna be the day. Uh, and he'll have a, a couple a couple days before then to to get back in the groove. But I, I think we'll we'll get at least one you know big big time clip from Bick next week when he's back for sure. Uh, it is the People Show coming up later on Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Trevor Linden is going to join them at four o'clock. A lot of similarities between uh, he was the captain of the Vancouver Canucks, got traded to the New York Islanders. That just happened to someone else. Uh, I'm sure they'll talk about that and much more. Uh, that'll be coming up right off the start of their show at 4 o'clock. We still got half an hour to go, though. It is Josh Elliott Wolf, Israel Fair, on The People Show on Sportsnet 650.